have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Oh, yes. And thank you, Aaron T.O. Lee. That is him that was doing all this pump your fist. That's a very good friend of mine. He actually wrote the song. He's performing in the song. He's an amazing bass player, and he and I used to sing and play together. So we appreciate that. And if you're here with us live, Comcast, Channel 23, you know we're on another level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. As always, you know, we just have some amazing, what does it say, information to build a nation, however you define your nation. But we have some information about education. You see how that works? It rhymes because it's, you know, because we black. That's what we do. And uh, so we're going to be here live. Depending on how the conversation goes, we'll open up the phones to you guys. There's one particular guy that called me last time that was blaming the older, the education, older um, old G's for letting him down and the struggle. <laughs> Please, if you're thinking about calling in tonight, I hope you do. Um, and I also have an amazing little highlight that's really kind of more like holiday. So we're going to start you out with the happy, happy, joy, joy here on Another Level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. Stay tuned. Before the Civil War, educational opportunities for free black children, particularly in higher education, were quite limited, even in the North. Some students, however, managed to leap over the hurdles standing in their way. John Chavis, a free black man from North Carolina, was the first African-American college student. Chavis studied as a private student under the president of the College of New Jersey now known as Princeton University, and continued his studies at Liberty Hall Academy in Virginia. In 1862, Mary Jane Patterson became the first African-American woman to receive a bachelor's degree when she graduated from Oberlin College. Patterson became a teacher and then the first black principal at the Preparatory School for Negroes, now known as Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. Before the Civil War, discrimination against black students led to the founding of the first black colleges in the North, including Wilberforce in Ohio and Lincoln and Cheney Universities in Pennsylvania. 
Cheney University in Philadelphia is the first historically black college or university. It was founded in 1837 as the Institute of Colored Youth. The founding of that institution transforms educational possibility for African-American people. The era saw huge growth in the number of black colleges and universities, from Howard and Fisk to Hampton and Tuskegee. Historically, black colleges and universities take African-Americans who struggle in our failing public schools and turn them into a rigorous scholar with access to a future who has earned the credentials for a college degree. HBCUs arose as a direct response to racial discrimination, providing opportunities for black students to gain a higher education and enter the middle class. According to the New York Times, HBCUs make up only 3% of the colleges across the country. And yet, at least 50% of black doctors and 80% of black judges have graduated from their classes. There remains a significant racial gap in degree attainment, but this gap is shrinking thanks to these black institutions and to increased black enrollment in historically white colleges and universities. Thank you so much, Dr. Henry Lewis Gates. And thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We're live right now. Um, I'm your host, Sharon Henson. On another level, what we strive to do is bring your consciousness, your understanding, your experiences to another level. Here at BNN Media, we actually provide you more information than the regular broadcast media. And we're not always so flashy flashy with all this stuff because we're from the community. And you can actually become a community producer, just like us. You have to go on bnnmedia.org and take a workshop and actually get certified so you know how to run all the cameras and the microphones and the media. It's not a mystery. We will teach you and empower you to be another voice of the community. Well, a voice of the community that I've known for a long time, and I'm only 25, so I won't tell you how long. That's not true. I own every minute of every bit of life that I have right now. He's a doctor now, Dr. Tony Vandermeer of the Africana Studies Department, senior lecturer in UMass Boston. I recently was at an amazing um, presentation of other UMass Boston faculty, and he was the star, because he's my friend, and presented some information that is troubling for a couple of different reasons. One is it's been going on way too long you saw that segment. So there were two segments, right? There was the happy, happy, joy, joy, Cirque du Soleil, which I actually went to last week. Thank you, Darren DeLuca of Emerson Theater. Because um, it was really cool. And I'm not into, um, I'm a Christian, but I'm not into Christmas. Let me be clear. My father, years ago, told me that he was working too hard to get me these presents for me to think some white boy with a red bag was bringing me anything. He was Santa, and there is no Santa. So, um, but this show is about that. But if you're like religious or you have issues about that, that, this show is not that. It's just really fun. And my daughter is 25 and she works very hard and she's a student. But I heard her laughing and having fun and she and I were there. And there were other families who were there at different ages and it was interactive. So it's in the theater and they also um, were using the audience. So if you're looking for a fun joy time, Cirque du Soleil at the Bach Wang Theater. I don't know what they're really calling it now, but you know where it is if you're from Boston. Google it. But, so I had you kind of with the happy, happy thing, and now we're going to get serious. Dr. Tony Vandermeer, I have known 
since our teens? Yeah, for a while. And he has always been a serious brother. He has always been a black king. He has always been an intellectual. And he is one of my go-to people if I want to make stuff happen and inform people. He is now involved with so many different things, but he's always been an activist. And he has always been somebody who's been about it, about it. Welcome, Dr. Tony Vandermeer. Because I have to give you that, brother, doctor, because you work for that. I'm trying to get mine, but you got yours, and you've had yours for a while. This speech, this presentation that you did, that was the provost, what was it? The provost was supposed to be there? Well, actually, it was the uh, chancellor's um, chancellor. public lecture uh, for the Distinguished Service Award winners. And you got that last year, but because of COVID, they couldn't give it to you. Right. Well, we well they gave it to you, but you this, couldn't do this, the uh, This year, we got it in 21. Uh, we were honored during commencement. And so usually after every year, they have a public lecture uh, by distinguished faculty members who won the award. So let me ask you something, because y'all didn't see it, and I'm not going to play it for you right now because it was fire. I posted live when he was doing the lecture. He and another lecturer... Um, in the African Studies Department, and it was just fire. And there was another professor that was right before that, and if I knew she was going to be fire like that, I would have posted her on Facebook Live. So I posted your lecture Facebook Live, and it got mad hits. Okay. So the two questions. One is, was this the speech that you were going to have last, week, last year? And, but cause, and, and, and tell us about the speech that you gave this year. Well, um, so it would, have, would have depend on what was happening last year. Right. Um, and so, uh, actually, we were shocked that they asked us to do the lecture because it was like, well, why did they ask us to do a lecture when they treat us so miserably? And did they expect us to fake the funk or did they want to hear the truth? They learned that day. Right. <laughs> you know, but the unfortunate part was it was the chancellor's ev event. And, and he, he wasn't there. Show. Well, he was there in video. Well, yes, but the, the question is, is, it was his party. And so I, don't, I didn't hear from anybody at the university anywhere that... President Biden called him to the White House, or the governor called him to the, you know, to the state house. So you didn't even know why he was. Or there. someone died, or he was sick with COVID, but I, and, but he didn't show. And I'm saying is that I felt it was sort of like an insult it in is. that regard. It's a slight. Yeah. It's like inviting you, <laughs> inviting you to a party at their house. You're and right you're there. Not there. Mm. So now, tell us about the speech that you just had the previous week this year, and then what was gonna happen. Or the difference, is there a difference between this year and last year? Because I seem to remember, you've been at UMass Boston for a while, and I seem, I seem to remember years. periodically you always have this fight. You personally have had this fight, and right. then the Africana Studies Department has had this fight. So can you give us like a brief idea of, but then again, UMass Boston is always touted as being the most diverse campus, yes, and also just like we talked about the piece with the um, HBCUs, mm -hmm. been more respons been responsible for, for these diverse um, students mm -hmm. being successful and academically successful because right. of the staff and the faculty that's there. Right. On one hand, they're, they're, they're getting kudos for what you do and who you are. Right. On the other hand, they're disrespecting you because of what you do and who you are. Right. So can yeah. you give us an idea? Well, virtually there's no respect. Um, you know, to make it simple, um, and that this is typical of black people all over, is that you work the hardest and you get paid the least. And, um, and so we're honored that we had gotten recognized, um, but sometimes you got to be careful when people recognize you. <laughs> <Right>. Target. <laughs> That's right. Um, so we're honored, but the honor, you know, uh, that we were selected by faculty members. Oh. All right. Um, and so 
Uh, in fact, the, it was interesting is that both Keith and I had gotten a call saying that the chancellor wanted to you know, meet with us on the phone and, and so forth. So we, we didn't know what it was about. So we got on the phone. The chancellor wasn't there. He says, well, the chancellor asked us to do it. You know, you guys are winners of the chancellor's uh, award for distinguished service. But we found out that other members got a call directly from the chancellor, right? Wait, wait, wait. Slow down. So first off, what is this distinguished service? What does that mean, that award? And second, they all, everybody else, the people that, the other people that had the presentations, like the physics guy and everything? They got a call from the chancellor and directly. And you guys didn't? And we didn't. Okay. So what so is that's the award what we were itself? Told. So the, the, the award is, you know, they give a award to three people. One is for, uh, for research, mm -hmm. one is for teaching, mm -hmm. and one is for service. It's funny because what we were doing was teaching. I right? was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the, the, what, what, what had happened was that after, particularly during COVID and George Floyd, mm -hmm. uh, we were concerned about this. So we sent a letter out to our students and saying that we stand in solidarity with, with them mm -hmm. and that we'd be willing to work with them and help them and get through that period. Mm -hmm. But then we also had uh, pushed our department to put down, um, you know, a, uh, a, a, an agenda mm -hmm. uh, talking about restorative justice demands for the department, you know, to fully... On the college campus. Right, to fund okay. the department, you know, uh, to uh, uh, put resources to help us deal with these particular issues and so forth. Um, and they didn't pay it any, any attention uh, around it. So what we did is that we organized a series of uh, Sankofa uh, 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 forums on structural racism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so, and to deal with some of the issues that we were dealing with. And so we had these amazing discussions that included, you know, uh, in fact, the first we had with the chancellor, and he kind of forgot about it and didn't make it. So then, we got him on the next one, where we had the provost, the former dean, I mean, the former provost, you know, the dean, other faculty members, too. I mean, it was wonderful, mm -hmm. uh, you know, elected officials. So we did four of those, and we're great. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of saying what we need to do in order to uh, become an anti-racist, public health promoting university. Uh -huh. Then after that, we did a restorative justice colloquium, which we brought Yah Jesse, who is the novelist of Homegoing, mm -hmm. to, to be able to look at uh, 300 uh, years of, of, of slavery, mm -hmm. uh, colonialism, in terms of how should we address these issues and move forward. Mm -hmm. And we, we forced them to do a, a free course uh, for all students. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful, right? We set up the Undoing Racism Assembly. We did all these wonderful things to sort of have a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So we also pushed for a restorative justice initiative of which we came out with a 10-year, $10 million program to address that so they could focus on, focus on making Intro to Africana Studies, a mandatory course so they for could look everybody. Up to the height. Exactly. Okay. Right? And another, you know, critical ethnic study course, right? So they didn't consult with us with anything. They didn't, you know, went and did what it is they want to do. They set up a, you know, set up a, a, a spot for the uh, special advisor for black life for the chancellor, which means is that they're going to deal with the chancellor, not with black life. Okay, you know? hold up a second. So was the special advisor for black life black? Of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just checking. Right, but that's the typical plantation politics that right. exists across the dude. You take a black person, you put them there, but you don't deal with the substance, right? Okay. And then, but they don't represent black people, they represent the provost. So it's and the chancellor, excuse me, the chancellor. It's opportunist. Well, it depends on how you want to look at it, I you know. Heard right. what I said. I said right. what I said. Right, but, but it's, it's a question of, you know, uh, of plantation politics. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and then they'll put people in these positions 
but they're not representing the interests of our community so then, and the needs of our community. So then after that initiative, what was the other piece? Because they put this special advice. Well, they, they began to deconstruct the Africana Studies Department, not supporting it. You know, in fact, they were supposed to hire, uh, you know, we had uh, 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 searches. They canceled both surf, sur searches. Keith and I, incidentally, was on one of those searches, you know, for promotion. And then we were, you know, we were on the list, and we were on the list, and next thing they canceled the search. Hold up. So you put this <laughs> initiative together in response to George Floyd and being responsible um, anti-racist faculty at UMass Boston. It's really going to make UMass Boston look good. You started making them look good, then they want to take it over and put their own head up They in appropriated there. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Misappropriated. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then so some people say they stole it, right? Well, you know, we right depends on the language. I'm just saying, they ripped right? it off. And then, right? And then they turned around, and the same people that initiated initiated the movement, they started to try to dismantle you and attack. Right, you. as opposed to you know bringing us in, help it, listen to what we had to say, and other people in the committee and say, how do we do this? Because they don't know how to do it, right? How how do we do this? But and of course they do. Yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're gonna, the point is, is that it's not just about us, the department. They want control to put the ideas they went through, which is contrary to the ideas we have in order how we advance our community. And so where is it now? Um, it's still in a bad place. Now, there's some posters that we have, some protest posters that we have. So um, my wonderful director, Katie Coffey, and uh, can we show those while we're still talking about that, please? There's three of them. Um, so if we can show those. So this one right here was in response to what it was happening? Yes, well, you know, it's, it says for abandoning their commitment to the process of becoming an anti-racism health promoting and public research institution. So they've spent over a million dollars creating a new letterhead and logo and, and, a, th and, and, a, and, a, and a slogan saying, for the times. Now, but now our student says, justice for the times. So I heard that at the, when you guys were doing the speech. Now, who are these three characters? Well, one is the, uh, one with uh, the, the chancellor, right? The chancellor's in the middle? No, he's on the left. That's the one with glasses. That's right, they make the most money. Mm -hmm. And okay. the next one was <laughs> the provost, and the next one is the dean. Is that the one that they put in the head, that they um, use well, as a figurehead? Well, yeah, they, well, they use the dean to, to give us the bad news in the deconstruct department, but he's taking orders. So he, did he, was he ever a Kunta, or has he always been a Toby? Well, I, I, I don't Is know. Is he a Toby now? Yeah, I, don't, I, I would say that. Um, I don't work for them, so I don't right, have to no, be no, no, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, but he's played a role of being involved in plantation politics. He gets paid very well. And we're not, our struggle is not with him. Right. Right, you know, exactly. Uh, and so, but the point is to realize is that if you, you have that authority, then do your job. And that you don't have to take orders from them. Is that you make it? If they don't like it, then you know, then you struggle with them around that. And so has he been advocating? No. Oh, okay. Well, he's Toby. Um, so then, so this is one of the posters. Let's see the other one. This one. This is the provost. This is the right. guy that didn't show so, up. So, so it is. It is the the provost. No, the, the, the that's the, the provost. He was, was there. The one. That's right. So this one makes. Right. How much money? Yeah, you know, three hundred forty-six thousand, and 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 that's for refusing to release a secret report conducted by a union-busting law firm, which costs over one hundred fifty thousand dollars to discredit and devalue the Africana Studies Department. So, so he basically, was a hit man. 
Well, yes, they, but they, you know, through their lawyers, they went and, and got lawyers to say what it is that they want to say, right? D -d Disparage us, right? Which is character assassination, right? Saying that we were uh, uh, unwelcoming um, and antagonistic. Towards who? I don't know. Oh. Right, but, that, but that's who they were saying. But the point is that we included all of them in the program we did. We created undoing racism assembly. You know, we did with other uh, uh, deans and chairs of departments and students and faculty. We brought other people from across campus in the community to participate in this discussion. But how could you be unwelcoming when you do that kind of work? Okay, we had another one. <clears throat> this last poster right here. <sighs> well, you know, it talks about the attack of Africana Studies Department. Is that, you know, from having seven full-time, you know, uh, faculty members, you know, in tenure-track faculty, we only have one. Whoa. Which is Dr. Kamara, who has uh, tenure. He's a full professor. So you don't have tenure? Well, I have continuous employment. You don't have tenure. I don't have, well, tenure means is that it's a different situation. They pay you more. They give you a sabbatical. They give you research money. I've been there going on 28 years. Ain't too many professors who could do what I do. But what I'm saying, that's the insult in terms of how our labor is being disrespected across the board. It's horrible for a public institution. And to talk about equity and so forth, it is absolutely embarrassing. So, uh, is it time for a break yet? I feel like I need a break. Hold up. So one last question before we take a break, because I, I have to wrap my head around it. And I'm very familiar with you and with UMass Boston. And it seems like you guys have always been fighting for You've always been fighting. You fought to have the African Studies Department there. You fought to keep it there. And then you said there were seven faculty and now there's only one? Yes. What happened? That's a good question. Oh. And so, but they would blame us as opposed to saying that it's about institutional negligence and then taking responsibility of not funding and keeping people there. In fact, the people who left, they would blame it on us, but all of them had asked for them to up their salary to keep them there and they said no. So it wasn't us. Right? Even when they didn't hire two black women to become faculty, uh, uh, tenured faculty members, the department supported them. The university rejected them. On what grounds? It, it was no, well, you know, they make up in, you know what I'm saying? They had power. The grounds is that they had power. And they, they, and they do what they want to do when they want to do it and how they want to do so it. So when you say they, is it the, the, the administration? And the, pro okay. the administration. The administration. And so, and so, okay, we're gonna come back and talk about this process thing, because I, I got a thing. Um, uh, if you just tuned in on another level here at BNN Media, my name is Sharon Hinton. My guest is, um, I don't know how to pronounce, Dr. Tony Vandermeer King Esquire, I don't know, <laughs> because, um, wow, that's a lot. We're gonna take a break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. November 1870, just five years after the end of the Civil War, four students walked into a makeshift classroom in a church basement in Washington, D.C., prepared to begin their studies at what would eventually be named the Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, the first black public high school in the United States. In the decades that followed, Dunbar became a shining okay, example you. of academic excellence to oh. which other black high schools could aspire. Dunbar High set high standards for their students. This was a school where African Americans learned in all different fields and moved beyond industrial education. At the turn of the century, a number of secondary schools across the country 
were in the process of transforming from exclusive private institutions into public ones. Yet the overwhelming majority of local and state governments in the South refused to allow black students to attend integrated schools. Very few African Americans had a chance to go to high school, particularly during the height of Jim Crow era, but they are keenly invested in education and in creating opportunities where the state has failed them. Overcoming obstacles at every juncture, black institutions strived for excellence under the leadership of brilliant and highly motivated teachers, many of whom had advanced college degrees, some from Ivy League universities. Teachers wanted to give young people access to a classical education. There were times when they would secretly provide more sophisticated forms of education. These high schools are not only training uh, the leadership class uh, of the African-American community, but they're training them in such a way that they have a real commitment to the community that they are a part of. In 1954, Brown v. Board of Education ruled that segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. This case, argued in part by a legal team made up of Dunbar alumni, was a huge victory, but its implementation was quite uneven and also had unintended consequences. The process of integration did break down some things that were real resources in the black community. You lose a lot of black administrators, a lot of black teachers who were important in these schools. You create schooling environments where black children, quite frankly, aren't as valued and expectations for them aren't as high as they had been. Nonetheless, black public high schools managed to create leaders in nearly every field, even though Jim Crow segregation was both pervasive and pernicious. Again, thank you for Mrs. Smith, Henry Louis Gates, and Mr. McGee for that two minute. <sighs> so I was saying to my noted guests that I'm heated. <sighs> you know, there's something that happens when you, uh, when you know what's going on and you see it, it's painful. And you actually want to change it, it's even more painful. Um, my guest, Dr. Tony Vandermeer, King Tony, um, I, where is it now? Where's the fight now? And, and what can we do to support you? Well, it's still there. Um, you know, the university, we're not the only problem that they have. You know, for example, they're trying to reorganize uh, the college. And so they're moving um, uh, uh, sociology, economics, um, and uh, a... Uh, Another, uh, another department of political science and putting it with McCormick School, right? There's an uproar. They, in fact, there was just a faculty council meeting today and a vote was taken for them to stop that process until they address certain issues. And the vote was 23 to one Whoa. with you know, three abstentions. So the faculty is overwhelmingly you know, uh, upset about the lack of not only transparency, uh, but shared governance at the university. So part of the problem is that they don't want to respect us as a department. They want to control our department. Um, and so they're not responding. And so we're in the process of talking with lawyers and, um, you know, we could, we could figure out other ways. I mean, they got lawyers, we got lawyers. So Well, 
So, <laughs> so how can we support you? Do we well, have to, I mean, do we, there's people in the news, like one of the ways that I do is expose it to the public. Well, a so the community should be outraged because it, it, it is the children of this community that we help educate to improve this community. And so we're from this community. That's so we right. love this community and we love the children of this community, right? Unlike many other people there, that discourage them and they end up failing or other kinds of things start to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So people should call. This is a public university. This is the money that the people put into Tax the phase. system, right? And so the call, the call the chancellor, uh, the call the provost, the call the president, Marty Meehan of the whole university, the call they state representatives. Wait a minute. Wasn't he, he was a politician. He was a, con a congressman. That's right. Right. Well. Well. So, and Bugsy was in there too. He was a well, okay, right. So what I'm saying is that is the is the is the call. Their their state senators, their Congress people, you know, the call the political officials says, what kind of horror show are they allowing to operate over there under taxpayers' money? The piece that you showed was a question of a private report. How do you do a private report with pub with a, a private report with public money? And how is it that you're going to accuse them of something and don't release the port, report? Right? To be able to say, someone's accusing you of this. Well, who are they? Give me mm. the proof. It's slander. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, they're going to need more lawyers than they got. You know, they're going to think they're going to impeach our character in terms of the work that we've been doing historically and us educating the children in this community. Now, you say our and we and us. Who are you talking about? Talking about the faculty within the Africana Studies Department who they've harmed in terms of the things that they said. They say that we are unwelcoming and antagonistic. But they didn't say how, and they didn't say to whom. No, that it was like a propaganda piece that they used. And this is the same thing that happened to us as African people, where they said, you know, uh, that they, were, they weren't, weren't intelligent, uh, all kinds of horrible names, that we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. But yet, we're the ones who built this world. Uh-huh. Come on. From the beginning. From the beginning. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember years ago, I was at <coughs> Northeastern, in a sociology class as a student, undergrad. And um, this white Caucasian student, young boy, boy, young man, stood up in the class and said, I don't understand why black people are so angry. I mean, we went over to Africa and educated them. And I was like, I had to grip my chair, right? And there were literally Africans in the class. So I turned around and looked at them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say anything. And then I looked at the professor. I said, are you going to say something? Are you going to say something? Are you going to continue to teach this class and let that, let that go on? And he said, well, um, do you want to teach this class? I said, if you don't say something, obviously I need to. And so I said to the, you know, the, the other student, I said, you know, first off, I'm, I admire your courage. Your courage. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you actually said what a lot of people are thinking. Exactly. And so let's deal with that right now. This is not a personal attack. This is setting the record straight. And then it got so heated and so tense, then the, the professor was like, okay, let's take a break. I said, oh, now you want to take a break. Right. You didn't want to take a break when he attacked my people and everything, yeah. but now you want to take a yeah. break because I'm holding him accountable. Yeah. Do you feel like that's what's happening? Like the University of, of UMass Boston is trying to say, well, let's take a break and let's regain control of well, this? Well, yeah, they don't have the courage to confront real issues. Mm -hmm. And so I do this in my class. It says, listen, you know, first of all, we have to respect everybody, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so we don't want to get into, you know, different uh, 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 personal attacks on people. Right. But we want to ask questions about how we know what we know. So when someone would say that in class, I said, okay, you know, I, didn't, I don't like that, but how do you know that? 
Right. Where do you get that from? Then you have to deconstruct it. That is our role. It says, right. okay, so how do you know that? Now let's find out what the facts are, you know, and to be able to deconstruct that so he can learn mm. as well. Because if we just throw him in the street and we don't try to repair the Another harm that he's person. done. Right. See, because this is the question of whiteness. You know, that whiteness is, is the beneficiary of, of a, a, a racial capital system right. that demonizes us. And we're saying, we got him. No, no, that's not correct. Right. And here's the proof. Right. You see what I'm saying? So now he has to be able to accept that or it's like, you, you can't pass this class. You're talking nonsense. Well, I remember the professor was saying, well, do you want to piece this class? I said, obviously I'm more qualified, no, but I'm going to take your pay. No, what the professor did, should have said is that you were teaching the class. Well, you know, he wasn't there yet either. Right, right, because, because the whole question of learning is just not a one-way street. That's right. It's a collaborative process. It's about it's, building knowledge it's together. It's supposed to be. Well, they don't understand that, but we do. Yeah. And even whether we got a degree or not, we have a right, a human right to say, excuse me, excuse me, this is not correct. And let them respond. If you don't respond, then we should say, well, then maybe you need a new job. You know, they got some jobs, you know, making donuts. Not really, if he doesn't speak Spanish. But what <laughs> <laughs> is that? You know, what's interesting is, so, so let's, let's look at history. Historically, what happens when you are the um, prophet, Moses, true speaker, Instead of, or the, or the, I had spoken to a, a young man that day and he said he didn't understand um, why people don't, when they hear the truth, they don't just go for it. And I said, well, let's look at it this way. You're in, say, say if you're in a dark room, the lights are already out and they're out and people are bumping into the furniture and everything and you're the one that comes on and turns on the light. You would think they would be thankful, but what usually happens is people curse you and go, oh, turn that light out because they've gotten accustomed to the dark. Yeah. And that's what happens when you start telling the truth and you start bringing right. in the light. Instead of them saying, oh, thank you, because I won't bump my knee anymore. They're like, ah, turn that light back out. And then the person that is the truth teller or, you know, the response is to get rid of them, not necessarily to bless them and thank them for them freeing them, liberating yes. them or whatever. So but then those people historically have been killed, lynched, maimed, jailed, disappeared, yes. attacked, right. vilified. Uh, impoverished. Yes. Um, <laughs> so let me let me help you. Where are you? Where so, are you at this university? Because you're one of the light bearers and you're one of the truth tellers. Well, they demonize you. Um, they, 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 they try to stunt your mobility, your ability to grow, your ability to be treated equitably, you know, but that's fine because I didn't get in here for that, you know, start teaching for that reason. In fact, you know, I, I came through the, the back door. Mm. Right? You know, you know we, they still got segregation. That's how you get in. You know, they don't open the front door to you, right? You know, and so I, I think it's, um, it's important uh, for us not to have fear, mm. you know? Um, you know, there's a saying, is that blessed are those who struggle for oppression is worse than a grave. It's better to die for a noble cause than live and die a slave. We got people around here who are the living dead. Right? Willingly. That's right. And so what is life if we can't breathe, if we can't be honest and be real, mm. and we have to be something else? That's what's destroying people and so forth. So I, I would say I got it honestly from my mother, from my father. Um, and so uh, I'm not trying to be a prophet or anything, but I'm not going to let anybody tell me that I'm less than and they're going to treat me less than. I'm going to advocate for myself and for my agency. And that's what we all should do and not worry about the consequences because we already live in the consequences. Well, the other biblical saying is God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So you are living your truth in your freedom. Um, huh. 
I've always known you to be like that, which I thank God for you because it's difficult to be in that space because mm -hmm. it's a lonely space mm -hmm. and it's a dangerous space to be in. But for those of us that can't find any other way to be, um, and you make that choice and you stick to it, it's still like when people are calling the provost and they're calling the chancellor and they're calling the administration at UMass, should they specifically name you and specifically um, the, other, the other brother that was um, speaking with you, should we specifically call out the faculty that we know have been specifically marginalized, disrespected, and not given tenure? Well, people can do as they will and what they know but the main thing is that it, it, it is about us, but it's not about us. It is the system. Mm. And so the question is, is that remove their tentacles from the Africana Studies Department because we know what we want, right? We know that knowledge and we know how to deal with it. Tell they me what don't. you want. Right. Well, what we want is, is we want them to fully fund our department, mm -hmm. right? We want them to make sure that they prepare the harm that's done to all of us, that Keith Jones, myself, Dr. Kamara, and anybody else who they've done harm to, that that's the kind of repair that needs to happen. Because if there's no justice, there cannot be any peace, right? And as far as we're gonna go, we're going to the end, mm. you know, in terms of them dealing with our honor, our dignity, and our character. Can they fire you? They could do whatever they wanna do. It's, I'm not even, I'm not, I don't even care what they do at oh. this point, right? So you're you know, dangerous. That's right. But see, that's, that's the problem with us is that, see, when you're ready to commit class suicide, it ain't nothing they could do, right? So come on with it, but you know what? They, they could fall victim to the same type of horror that I can fall victim to. So I'm not even worrying about that. And so when we talk about our ancestors, we talk about our belief in God, we, we talk about a question of equality. So what can happen to me can happen to them. And I don't, I, I, I'm not worrying about them, right? But I'm, what I'm worrying about is that what I'm going to do. But when anybody step on my foot, I'm going to say, you better get off my foot. In fact, I'm going to push him off my foot. Mm. Mm. Right? So that's what we have to do. And I'm not worrying about those kind of consequences because I've been suffering those all my life. Mm. But part of it is that we have to have the peace within ourselves. And I'm mm -hmm. at peace with myself. Do I get angry? Of course I get angry because, you know, it's an insult to my humanity. And it's an insult to all of our humanity. But I'm not going to let that anger take me to another level. I'm going to fight constructively, right? So mm -hmm. but if they get in my way, I'm going to move them out of my way. So now I've known you for, how long have you been doing these trips to Cuba? Um, I've been doing those for a good 20 years. Wow. And it's, it's two or three a year, right? Yes, uh, most recently. And, and, you know, because of the pandemic, it stopped. But um, in fact, I'm going in January. So I'm, you know, uh, uh, looking at January, March, and probably in the summer. I'm practicing up on my Spanish now. I took seven years of it. <laughs> and at one point, I was fluent. I could yeah. speak, could read, and write it. And then I, I don't know. Um, you just get in another zone and then you're not around the population we tend to use and then you start yes. to lose it. Yes. But I'm using a whole lot now, yes. so, yes. and a lot of different levels. Do you have to be a student or faculty at UMass no. to be able to go on these trips? No. So how would someone who's interested, because I know some of y'all are thinking about it, ooh, I'd like to be to Cuba, go to Cuba, I've never been to Cuba. Well, you know, reach out um, to me so when there's uh, uh, times or they're interested, we'll go because I do people to people's uh, tours so that we can understand the culture and the history of Cuba. We interact with artists and teachers and workers and, you know, and students and so forth and to learn about the culture and so forth and working with the people. Um, you know, we stay at some of the, uh, what they call paladars, which are the people's homes and so forth, mm -hmm. eat at some of their, uh, excuse me, a, a cast of particulars and eat at the paladars and so forth. Um, but it's beautiful. Cuba is a beautiful place. And in fact, I've been working on, 
a, a, a memorandum of understanding between the University of Guantanamo and our university. Here's a global project here that's going on. I was just talking to Dr. Prue, who's in Haiti, the Dean of Student Affairs there, of looking at how we deal with Cuba, uh, uh, UMass Boston, Haiti, in fact, even Jamaica, because I've been working with folks there. Here's a wonderful global opportunity for us to do stuff, and we're dealing with people who aren't even showing us any level of respect. <clears throat> Katie, let's see if we can get some phone calls. I know somebody's listening. We don't wait until, you know, you're not the first phone call, because I guarantee you that we will run out of time, and then I won't be able to talk to you, and you won't be able to ask this renowned professor, Dr. Tony Vandermeer, the questions. Um, we're live right now. Um, so I have a couple of questions. And, and get back to this UMass thing, right? And the fearlessness that you have, and also the global aspect of it. What do you see? Because I, I, okay, let me make this statement. The fight that you have, I know for a fact that there are educators of color in Boston public schools that are dealing with the same thing, being pushed out, being disrespected, being denied promotions and money, and the freedom to be able to be the excellent educators or administrators that they are. What are the similarities or are there similarities that you can show between here or the Western, you know, North America and South America, um, what's happening in, in Boston, in UMass Boston, and what's happening in Cuba, what's happening in Haiti. Is there, are there similarities and sure, what are they? Sure, it's structural. Um, and it goes back to the question of whiteness and white supremacy, racism, um, and national oppression. Um, you know, this is a whole history uh, that we have experienced. And so I don't care where you are, is that you are least seen. Du Bois talked about this in the Souls of Black Folks. He talked about this question, you know, of the uh, 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 20th century being the, uh, 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 the, the color line, you know, and so we're dealing with the, dealing with the color line, you know, we're dealing with the, the, the veil, you know, in terms of uh, uh, when they see us, you know, they don't see us, so mm. to speak. Uh, uh, and then what, they, what, what, what is priority is, is being white, you see, and that has value. And so this is what we're dealing with across the board. So you'll find these contradictions in all institutions. But what I say is that, first of all, like, I'm thankful, right? So, you know, be thankful for what we have. And we have is we have breath, mm -hmm. we have life, mm -hmm. right? And then, we, you know, we have to fight for uh, uh, what we need, right? And then, you know, from there, then we need to be humble when we get what we want, mm -hmm. right? But we have to struggle. We have to fight. There's no choice, you know, because, you know, there are a few people they'll give things to, but when they give you something, Mm. You better watch out. That means you're going to have to serve them in a way that's going to take away from who you are. Well, my father used to say, if they, can give, if they give it to you, they can take it. And that's usually what happens. And, and guess what happened? When they voted us into the Constitution, they could do what? Vote us out. And so, and what we're talking about now in terms of the way this country is and with Donald Trump, and so what did he say? Terminate the Constitution? Yeah, yeah. Right? So we're still dealing with issues that was relevant, you know, in 1857 when they said black people had no rights, that uh, white people was bound to respect. 1776. And, it was way before that. Uh, well, we that's the people. It, we the white men that had property. Exactly. But the point is, is that then they, they by, by law, they codified, right? And then they said, well, now we are free. 
But then if we are, then when did you deal with the harm that you brought to us? Right. Would you, you, you stole us from the heritage and inheritance that we so supposed to have. So now you're talking reparations. That's another whole show. Ex but, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that but that's what the institutions are, are trying to assimilate us to without addressing the harm that was done. Right. Like, you should get over it. Like, remember the Alamo, remember 9-11, but forget slavery. Right. <laughs> yeah. They always say, get over it. I, I wish somebody get in my face tell me to get over it. I said, first of all, get out of my way. <laughs> show me the money. <laughs> right. And yeah. I know exactly what I want. Right. To, to even make me think about if yeah. I feel a, lot of, right. a little bit better. Right. But, and they're but, still doing it generationally. So how right. does somebody know if they're part of the solution, part of the problem? Uh, that's, a good, that's a good question, is that when you are part of the solution, then they're going to come after you. <laughs> so, you okay. so, 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 you know, uh, because you, you got to understand is that uh, you become a threat to those who have power in a society. Right now, until we're able to build what we want to protect, what we have, then what's the use of really having it? We're just gonna have to tap dance on the table. But every time we do that as black people, I'm not talking about everybody else. I'm talking about African Americans, black people. Every single branch of government has come to destroy us. Um, they have they have jailed us. They have changed the laws. They put these little sneaky little verses, the Thirteenth Amendment into the laws, like you're free, yeah. but not unless you yeah. know you committed a crime, yeah. or let's make up these yeah. crimes so that you'll be a criminal well, just from being black. Well, we have to learn from our history. I mean, this is the importance of Dr. King, the importance of the civil rights movement, the importance of Malcolm X, when at the point, particularly in the 60s, when we were fighting for democracy, right? And so what Malcolm said is, is, is that, you know, it, it is democracy or it's hypocrisy, mm -hmm. and it's been hypocrisy, but it is the work that Dr. King have done along with the civil rights movement, along with Malcolm, to be able to move us to be where we are. But what I'm saying is that people got into the system and they got a little bit happy versus yeah. continuing that struggle. Better piece of pork. That's right, Deve <laughs> developing our relationship with the international community. We are not a minority. We but, are not but a minority. Malcolm did that and they killed him. Because he, exactly. he was bringing it to the global stage and saying, yeah. you talk about crimes against they, humanity. They, they killed his body, but they didn't kill his ideas. Well, you know what they say when they buried us? They didn't realize we, we were seeds, seeds, right? Exactly. So when you, so but that's where edu that's where education comes in that, right. because then we're going to educate people to to further incorporate people into a, a racial capital system, or we're going to educate them to liberate themselves. Which is what we were doing when we had our own schools. When the first the first very first piece that we showed was because legally, you know, we couldn't have our own schools. They didn't want us to read. They didn't want us to talk to each other communicate to each other, and then it was legal, li literally illegal to be literate. Yeah. Even though we were educated before we came here, and we were skilled before we came here, which is why they kept right. going back to get more of us. Yes. So you all know what you're doing. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that, um, as much as I thought I knew about Harriet Tubman, I didn't know that she actually uh, had the cure for diphtheria mm -hmm. during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? I mean, she was a nurse, she was a scout, she was yeah. an abolitionist, so you know, you know all of that, right? Yeah. And, the, and the conductor of the um, Underground Railroad and stuff like that, but there was a, there's a special, I think it's still on, on WGBH, and they were talking about how she actually uh, invented the cure for diphtheria. Now, I think because her father was teaching her all these herbs and everything in the woods, yeah. and so she was learning all these different cures, she, she knew about it, and they discovered the fact that she already knew about it. Yeah. But when you look at mathematics, science, um, the, the plague, right? There were Moors, there were Africans that actually said, well, y'all are really nasty. That's why you're having all these rats and all these diseases. So right. learn how to wash your hands. Like, right. learn how to... Right. So we knew this stuff yeah. for thousands of years, but then 
then and still even now, you have these educated, skilled right. um, people of color, black people, who are not given the respect. Yeah. But then you have, you know, when I talked to, to um, at that time, he was Stokely Carmichael and had just changed his name to Kwame Ture in D.C. I said, well, what do we need to do? And he said, organize. Right. We have to organize. He right. said, I formed five organizations and three of them tried to kill yeah, me, yeah. but you still have to organize. Yeah, yeah. So our black people in Boston, I want to bring this down local because we've got like five minutes left. Yeah. Are we organized? Because I know you're part of this local organizing committee too. Yeah. We're organizing, but we are not aligned. Ooh. Right. And so we need, we need to alignment. Uh, and so we need a united front. We used to have that in the Black 60s. United Front. Right, we used to have that Black in the Black Political Task Force. Yeah, well, more United Front than a task that's force. That's true. You know, because that becomes more class-based. But what we need is that we need the different sectors and tendencies of black people to come together. Because otherwise, we'll fight with those differences. But the differences uh, among ourselves is less than the differences among the people that oppress us. So the principal contradiction is the people who oppress us, not each other. And so what happens, that, you know, is we start fighting each other, and we let the man you know, get but away, you and I free. were from the generation where we, it was about liberation. It was about liberation exactly. of our people. So you had the brown berets and the black berets. You had uh, Chicanos coming together and yes. you had Asians coming together. You had poor white people coming right. together. You had students coming together. But what I'm saying, this is my opinion, but you know, I'm entitled. I see the educational system, especially the public educational system, dumbing our kids down and causing right. them to conform because that was where the that's, uprising was coming from. That's why they're attacking Africana studies. Okay, come on, bring it home, Professor. Right, right. because demo one is that they don't want folks to be educated. They want them to be trained, right, and to work for these corporations who will continue to exploit their labor. That's right. The most important thing we have other than our health is our labor, and they shortchange that on every day. If you want to get a house in Boston, you got to make at least plus seventy-seven plus thousand dollars. Yeah, at least. Right, your minimum. Forget fifteen dollars an and hour. And that's the point. That's the base level. Right. Which black people are not doing right. that. Which right. is why our demographic has been leaving in droves. That's right. And right. why the schools, right. the the students in the in the right. public school system right. are leaving. Right. So the and question of education and Africana studies is to challenge the paradigm that we exist in in terms of racial capital system, a system that's based on them oppressing us as black people, of poor people, working people, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we have to challenge that because they're the ones that's making out like bandits and we're the ones who's suffering the consequences. And dying. Exactly. For, for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And that's what you're talking about. And we got to raise the mass consciousness. <sighs> so, so what next? And how do people get in contact with you? Um, they can email me, T Menelik Vandermeer, T-M-E-N-E-L-I-K, at yahoo.com, right? And send me an email, and, um, and I'll respond, uh, you know, to them. But they could always call the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and ask for the chancellor, and ask why is he continuing to let that horror show go on. They can call their state rep, their state senator. They can call their congressional rep, call Ayanna Presley. How is that horror show going on with our taxpayers' money? Mm. As simple as that. And we got many issues. We got uh, uh, gentrification. Uh, you know, uh, 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 we got issues around health care, issue of violence. Th this is why we have it because if we help deal with the root cause of it, we could, you know, eradicate that. But they have to be able to listen to us. But they're not going to listen to us until the people demand it. Mm. Say that again. They're not going to listen to us until the people demand it. Come on. The people united will never be defeated. Hey, there you go. But, you know... I'm starting to wonder who my people are because, you know, 
Asking for King Kinfolk, right? And that's a very important point. So what I'm saying is that the, 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 uh, 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 whether they're Asian, Dominican, Puerto Rican, whatever it is, from Nigeria, from Cameroon, wherever they're from, if they're willing to stand with you, fine. That's your if they're not, keep moving. That's your people. Right? And if they get in the way, move them out. Well, I'm Harriet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harriet. I was, was going to be free. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. I mean, I could talk to you. And you and I, we usually talk. We're talking for like hours and stuff which I really appreciate, uh, the pearls, the wisdom, and the focus, and the camaraderie, seriously, because it is a very lo lonely sometimes. Yes, it is. And, and being a black woman, you got to deal with the misogyny, and so the racism, the sexism, and, 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 and all that other stuff. And the majority of our kids are being raised by black women. Yes. Um, so, trying to survive. And so... Um, this world was raised by black women. Well, you know, <laughs> the first woman was... A black woman, right. so I'm just saying, like, we're all Africans. We all came from Lucy. We, so we have a shared common ancestry. What's we, up with that? Because people try to deny. That's right. So thank you for being here. Um, I, I'm going to put my little bookmark in there so I can bring yeah. you back yeah. because I know this story is to be continued. Yes. And usually it intensifies during the breaks. Yes. Because universities... That's when they attack us even more, when people are like eating their, you know, Christmas dinner. Or they going into New Year and they go, oh, That's what happened right. to Professor Vandermeer? Yeah, he was right. here last semester. Right. After Kwanzaa, we talk about self-determination and they, boom, hitting us. Right. Be determined over there. Right. Find yourself a new job. Right. So um, thank you so yeah, much. Thank As you. you, thank you for being here with us. Um, whew, it's that time of year where um, you got to make a decision how you're going to enter the end this year and into the new year. Although this conversation that we've had and we're having has been for hundreds thousands of years, equity, inclusion. I thank my crew, um, Katie Coffey, my director, and also Ike Benjamin, and I think there's somebody else who's in there, my intern there, they're mine for tonight. They could be yours too. Go to bnnmedia.org and become a producer or a director or a writer. You can do that. Thank you so much for being here this evening. My name is Sharon Hinton. Hope to see you next time. God bless. Take care of yourself and each other. Peace.